If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Thursday, September 9th, 2021. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson. Glad to have you here every single day. I'm the political editor at townhall.com, a Fox News contributor and host of this program. Our online home is guybensonshow.com. All things Guy Benson Show right there. Easy to remember, guybensonshow.com, including that free podcast, on demand, no charge every single day. You can also go to foxnewspodcasts.com. For that. On today's program, here's what we have in store. Jessica Tarloff will be here in the next hour to talk politics, but also a small surprise, a secret that she was keeping was accidentally, inadvertently spilled into the open on the five yesterday by Dana Perino. We will have the audio of that and get Jesse's reaction because she had to make a split second decision in the moment. Bottom line is she's pregnant, which we're very excited about. We'll talk to Jesse about that, plus news of the day coming up in our next hour, along with Dr. Nicole Sapphire. She'll be back here talking about CDC guidance, booster shots, a few other issues, and President Biden's speech later this evening on COVID. They're billing this at the White House as a major address on COVID, a six-pronged plan on next steps in this pandemic, including, it sounds like, more vaccine mandates, Seems like the White House is going to push forward here with booster shots, even though there seems to be some dispute over that scientifically, even within his own administration, about who that should apply to. We'll see how he handles that. But he is scheduled to speak right around 5 p.m. Eastern time during this broadcast, and we will bring that to you when he speaks. I mean, he was late even for his Afghanistan address, so... I'm not sure we should bank on him being exactly on time, but when he brings us those remarks on COVID, we will take some or all of them live. But Dr. Sapphire will be here to preview what she hopes she will hear, what in her mind would be a sensible path forward for the United States, and they may agree or disagree on a number of issues. Dr. Sapphire and President Biden, we will get her take before the president speaks. And in our final hour, depending on Biden's timeline, Josh Krasauer will be here talking politics and more, some new polling data, some internecine fighting happening within the Democratic Party on Capitol Hill about spending, Senator Manchin angering progressives again. How's that going to play out? Because there's a rift now between Manchin and even the leadership, but they need his vote. We'll get analysis from Josh in our final hour. Fox News alert as we begin the program today. Let's bring you the stats on COVID. In the United States, all time, all in, 40.6 million 
confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the United States of America, with the real number being much higher. The death toll, 654,061 Americans have died from this awful virus over the course of the last year and a half. The Dow is down 111 points right now, sitting at 34,919, down again today for the fourth straight day. We'll keep our eyes peeled on that ahead of the closing bell. As we begin, I would like to bring to your attention a little controversy at the White House that I think has been manufactured by Team Biden for the purpose of distracting us and the media away from the myriad failures of the Biden administration and instead sort of give the press and their supporters some catnip having to do with recriminations and revenge and pettiness against the Trump administration, the previous administration, and some of their supporters and loyalists. So at the outset, I just want to acknowledge on some level I am taking the bait. I think that's what this is. I think this is absolutely a look, squirrel type of shiny object to get us to talk about it and address it and have this whole controversy whipped up over something ultimately not that significant to move coverage away from other storylines and real news that do not reflect well at all on the Biden administration and their governance. But the reason that I'm sort of half-taking the bait, uh, the bait is to emphasize and analyze exactly what they're doing from my perspective to shine a light on it to explain it and expose it and then also tie the story back to the stuff that they don't want us to be talking about so the gist and i'll just simplify it thumbnail sketch is that 11 trump appointees to various advisory boards including advisory boards for the major service academies, military service academies in the United States, 11 people appointed by President Trump to three-year terms to advise those academies and other various institutions around the federal government. They were given a letter, sent letters, contacted by the Biden team, saying, per the president's order, they must either resign or they would be fired as of last evening. And unsurprisingly, a number of them who have spoken out publicly about this have declined to resign, and therefore they have been terminated. This is highly unusual. It might be illegal. There's likely a brewing legal battle here, but it is certainly unusual. Presidents generally have the prerogative to pick their people, put them on these boards for three years, then the next guy comes in and and he gets his round of picks as well. Congress appoints their own slate as in addition to all of this. But the Biden administration apparently objects to some of these folks, and they decided right now, in the midst of everything, in the ongoing debacle in Afghanistan, poor jobs numbers, you name it, inflation, They wanted to make and manufacture a news cycle by having the president fire some of these people. One of those people 
is Kellyanne Conway, the former advisor to the president. Another one of those people is Sean Spicer, the former press secretary. She was named by Trump as an advisor to the Air Force Academy, Spicer to the Naval Academy in Annapolis. I will point out that whatever you think of Sean, he has been a member of the Naval Reserves and an officer, in fact, for quite a bit of the time, for more than 20 years. Kellyanne Conway got the letter from Biden, and she responded. I want to read to you her letter back to Biden. This was put out last night. President Biden, I am in receipt of the letter you sent me today demanding that I resign from the Board of Visitors to the United States Air Force Academy or be terminated by 6 p.m. tonight. News reports suggest you made the same demand of other men and women who were duly appointed to service academy boards. Three former directors of presidential personnel inform me that this request is a break from presidential norms. It certainly seems petty and political, if not personal. The result is that faithful and willing public servants will be discouraged or thwarted from service. Our service academies will risk being further politicized and polarized. Your decision is disappointing but understandable, writes Kellyanne Conway to President Biden. Given the need to distract from a news cycle that has you mired in multiple self-inflicted crises and plummeting poll numbers, including a rise in new COVID cases, a dismal jobs report, inflation, record amounts of drugs coming across the southern border, and of course, the chaotic and deadly withdrawal from Afghanistan that has left hundreds of Americans and thousands of Afghan allies stranded under Taliban rule. It is an honor to serve on the Board of Visitors to the U.S. Air Force Academy. The brave men and women in uniform represent the best of our great nation. It was also a privilege to serve a president whose actions resulted in the deaths of terrorists, like al-Baghdadi and Soleimani, rather than a president whose actions resulted in the deaths of 13 U.S. service members. I am not resigning, but you should. Sincerely, Kellyanne Conway. So you might imagine that caused some waves, went viral, if you will. And I think she makes some pretty good points. She and these others were duly appointed. It is a break from norms to try to fire them, and we'll see if it stands up in court. My guess is the president has pretty significant power here. But President Biden, if you recall, promised that he was going to be the norms-restoring president. Right? All of our precious norms were under serious attack under Donald Trump, they told us. And sometimes they were right, I will point out, in my opinion. So they had to come in and restore those norms. And now on issue after issue, they are flirting with additional norm destruction or moving in a different direction. That is, as Kellyanne Conway says, I think transparently petty and partisan and, yes, a distraction. Because this involves Conway and Spicer and a few other names that the media like Pavlov's dogs, you know, they hear the names, ding, oh, bad, attack. This is irresistible fodder for them. That's the point. The point is having a string of terrible news cycles. The White House decided, all right, let's deploy this little plan and fire some people. And that will delight the media because they can talk about a Trump-related controversy. They are absolutely addicted to him still in a lot of ways. And it will appease their base. 
and I should point out, most of the news media is part and parcel of their base, sort of hardcore progressive Democrats. Journalists fall very much in that category. But the base is made happy because Kellyanne Conway is made unhappy. If you can create a bad day for Sean Spicer, that's a good day for partisan Democrats in this era of negative partisanship. So I believe that's why they did this the way that they did it, even though it is not normal, as they like to say, right, with their hand clap emojis. This is not normal. Well, this is not normal. I mean, this is small potatoes compared to the abnormality, for example, of leaving thousands of Americans and allies behind in a terrorist-run country. That's especially abnormal. But they would love it for all of us to have a big fight about this. As the president presides over an ongoing national disgrace and humiliation in Afghanistan, plus all of the problems here at home, including the border crisis, and on and on it goes. Now, Jen Psaki was asked about this yesterday. Here's how she tried to frame it in cut 11. Listen. The president's objective is what any president's objective is, is was to ensure you have uh, nominees and people serving on these boards who are qualified to serve on them and who are aligned uh, with your values. Uh, and so, yes, that was a, an ask that was made. That because a lot of these appointees do go across administrations, that mm-hmm. there is a risk of politicizing these non-traditional, non-controversial positions. Well, I will let others evaluate whether they think Kellyanne Conway and Sean Spicer and others were qualified or not political uh, to serve on these boards. Uh, But uh, the president's uh, qualification requirements are not your party registration. Uh, They are whether you're qualified to serve and whether uh, you're aligned with the values of this administration. Okay, let's talk about qualifications since she talked about that and mentioned it several times. I think it is not a coincidence or an accident that she name-checked specifically Spicer and Kellyanne Conway, because they are public-facing, polarizing, controversial, lightning-rod-type figures in our national politics, or at least certainly they were during the Trump years. Some names that were not mentioned by Jen Psaki, as she prattled on about qualifications, but who got those letters, who have now been terminated, are H.R. McMaster, the former National Security Advisor, and our colleague, General Jack Keane. So if they're going to say that this is about values and qualifications, it's easy for them to dangle names that everyone's, you know, oh, yes, Kellyanne Conway, Sean Spicer, they're political people. We don't like them. Set that aside. Please explain, and President Biden should have to explain, What it is about H.R. McMaster that renders him unqualified to advise West Point. He attended West Point. He graduated from West Point. He served in the Army for 34 years. He retired as a lieutenant general in the U.S. Army. He oversaw all training in one of his capacities and education for the Army's infantry, armor, and cavalry force. He taught at West Point. For a number of years. And just this week, he is receiving a distinguished alumni award from West Point. You're telling me that man, H.R. McMaster, is not qualified, Jen, or Mr. President, to serve on this board of advisors? Really? What about Jack Keene? Retired, four-star general, Army. 
37 years of public service. He was acting chief of staff and vice chief of staff of the entire U.S. Army. Over four years, he directed 1.5 million soldiers and civilians in 120 countries with an annual operating budget of $110 billion. This is from his bio. He's a decorated combat veteran. He spent a lot of his military time in operational commands. He's a graduate of the Army War College. You look at what he's received as citations and medals. Two Defense Distinguished Service Medals, five Legions of Merit, the Silver Star, the Bronze Star, and on and on it goes. You mean to tell me that General Jack Keane is not qualified to serve on this advisory board? No wonder they're talking about Spicer and Conway. They don't want to have to answer for these other petty firings, which are all about getting back at Donald Trump and creating a different topic of conversation for us to be angry about and to bicker about. As for values, oh, they have to share our values. Which values would those be? Is this White House in a position to lecture anyone about values right now, given their broken promise and abandoning and stranding Americans and allies behind in Afghanistan? Spare me the values talk, Mr. President. And Ms. Saki, I have a little bit more on this as soon as we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show just getting started on this Thursday. Stay tuned. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. I want you to think of it this way, the story that we opened with, this distraction in my view, an attempted distraction from the Biden team, and we are talking about it not because we want to get sucked into it, but to expose what they're trying to do. They want us all mad about Sean Spicer and Kellyanne Conway. They don't really want to talk about Jack Keen or H.R. McMaster. It doesn't really fit the narrative as much on qualifications or values or whatever that BS is going to be. But as you consider the fiasco in Afghanistan, the disastrous withdrawal, the absolute abject incompetence, at every step of the way, consider that no one responsible for any of that has been asked to resign. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Or has been relieved of their duties. They're all firmly ensconced in those jobs. Oh, but Sean Spicer? Jack Keen, they're out. Priorities and accountability, Biden style. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Guy Benson. Back on The Guy Benson Show. Appreciate you listening every single day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and listening on that podcast every day for free on demand. Before I move on and shift more specifically to Afghanistan and the debacle still unfolding there, General Jack Keane, who we mentioned in the opening monologue, reacted to his firing from this advisory board at West Point by President Biden. He was on America Reports with John Roberts earlier today, just a few hours ago. And this was part of what he had to say in Cut 25. I was, got a letter yesterday asking me to re- resign or be terminated by 6.30 last night. I re- certainly refused to resign, uh, so I'm terminated. But I, I think this is a partisan play on the part of the Biden administration, and pretty disappointing because the tradition in the past, John, has been that the presidents who are now serving respect the appointments of the incumbent presidents uh, that, that have been made mm-hmm. so that people can complete their three-year term. And President Biden uh, you know, has chosen not to do that. He's going to likely be challenged in the court over it because it is defined by law. But it's disappointing to see uh, partisan politics get involved in yeah. something uh, dealing with our service academies. No you know, place so- for it. No place for it, he says, except apparently in the Biden White House. We were assured that we would have this healing president that put petty politics behind us and would embrace norms with a big bear hug. Apparently not so much. Now, General Keene has been extremely critical of the Biden administration on the Afghanistan withdrawal, as have many others. We had Keene on this show just recently following a speech from President Biden on Afghanistan. And I asked one question of General Keene, and he spoke then for 12 minutes uninterrupted, which I never do with guests. But he was so granular and specific, and his points were so cogent and thought out, a point-by-point refutation and rebuttal of President Biden, I just let him go. Gosh, I wonder if Jack Keene's sharp-minded, experience-based, withering criticism of the president and his team on the Afghanistan withdrawal, I wonder if that has anything to do with the reason he was targeted for firing. For absolutely no real reason, apparently. The White House mumbles about qualifications as they highlight Kellyanne Conway and Sean Spicer, I think for political reasons, and that's who shows up in a lot of the headlines, by the way. But as I outlined in the open, there's really no justification in terms of questioning the qualifications of H.R. McMaster or Jack Keene or some of the others. They want us to be talking about that and not Afghanistan. The accountability, quote-unquote, has come for Jack Keene and H.R. McMaster, not Anthony Blinken or Lloyd Austin or any of them. It's amazing. Now let's talk about Afghanistan. There's been some reporting that there's been some progress on getting some Westerners, including Americans, out of that country. 
thanks to the government of Qatar and Americans who are working, in many cases, independently from the Biden administration to get this done. And the Taliban has announced that they're going to allow a certain number, one to 200 Americans and others, to leave the country via Kabul, with perhaps some more tomorrow as well. That's good news. That's welcome news. But it's news that comes with asterisks and caveats. We told you about the quasi-slow-motion hostage situation at the airstrip in Mazar-e-Sharif yesterday that is still ongoing. We're on day nine of that. None of those people are being allowed to leave. Taliban is saying, well, if some of them want to leave, they can't leave here. They've got to go back to Kabul and do it that way. There are special immigrant visa holders, people who are cleared to leave by the United States. We promise to get them out. The Taliban is saying no go. They are not eligible for this limited reprieve. There are Americans, people with American green cards, people who are entitled legally to be in the United States of America, who are also excluded from this. And we know that there are hundreds, maybe thousands, of Americans, in terms of citizens and permanent legal residents, who are still stranded, to say nothing of the tens of thousands of Afghan allies that we have abandoned. That is all very much real, very active. Still, I'm very pleased to see that some people are going to get out. But it's very obvious it's happening as the Taliban dictates based on what they decide. I do wonder if there was any deal made. Are we giving them something in exchange for some of our people getting out? Because that would also be tantamount to a hostage situation. I would like to know if that's the case. And I think the Taliban is laying down a very clear marker here over the last week. Assurances aside... We're in control. We will let people out when we see fit. And if you want certain people out, too bad. It's going to be our decision. And if you want to help make that decision easier, grease the skids a little bit, well, then let's talk and let's make a deal. And, of course, there are other people that they have no intention of letting go at all. They have the intention of vengeance, bloodletting, execution. Meanwhile, the Secretary of Defense has said, quote, this is a new one, concerning the ongoing worries, and I would say growing worries, about a jihadist presence in Afghanistan, considering that a jihadist terrorist organization now runs Afghanistan with hardened Islamist fighters and terrorists at senior levels of this so-called government that they've formed. And no joke, as we mentioned yesterday, the Biden team, they seem uh, quite, quite troubled by this. By which I mean they're quite, quite troubled by the lack of diversity and inclusion in this government. Honestly, it is beyond parody sometimes what these people do. You've got four Guantanamo Bay high-level terrorists back in Afghanistan leading the Taliban and this new government with 
tens of thousands of U.S. allies stranded inside the country. You've got the leader of the Al-Qaeda Haqqani Network. By the way, that's been holding an American hostage now for months. That guy had a $5 million bounty on his head from the U.S. government. He's now a minister in the Taliban government, the interim government, quote-unquote. And you have multiple administration sources out there talking about the lack of diversity. It's like here at home when they're playing identity politics and they're all worried about wokeness and you know, counting certain box, checking certain boxes, and you have enough people of this race or this background because we must always look like America. That's the way they say it. We need to, the Republican government, the Republican Party, it doesn't look like America. What they're basically saying is, hey, Taliban, your government doesn't look like Afghanistan. They've pointed out the lack of women. I believe they call them birthing people or menstruating people is what AOC said the other day. I'm sure the Taliban will get right on that. The concerned statements and tweets about a lack of birthing people in the high ranks of the Taliban-ran government, which does not sufficiently look like Afghanistan. Well, it's going to look the way the Taliban wants Afghanistan to look. As you have this huge influx... And there have been multiple reports about this being a huge rallying point. America's withdrawal, our humiliation there. Radical jihadists who did not just go away. We've stymied and killed a lot of them. We've captured some of them, then released them, including some people who are now back running the Taliban right now. Thanks to that little switcheroo deal with Bo Bergdahl and Barack Obama, that whole era. This has been a huge bonanza in terms of morale and recruitment for global Islamist terrorism. And we had 9-11, the 20th anniversary of which is this weekend. We had 9-11, and that series of brutal, murderous attacks against men, women, and children, because the Taliban hosted al-Qaeda, allowed them to train there, harbored them. That's why we started the war in the first place after 9-11. And the concern among many is that threat will metastasize again in Afghanistan. What about that threat? I will finally get back to this quote from the defense secretary. Quote, we put the Taliban on notice, on notice rather, that we expect them to not allow that to happen. Secretary Austin said, referring to the possibility of al-Qaeda using Afghanistan as a staging base in the future. I'm sure you feel great now. Oh, well, we put them on notice. And I'm sure those threats really have pointed teeth, right? We didn't even keep the promise to our own citizens to get them out of Afghanistan before the Taliban took over. President promised we would, promised we would keep boots on the ground at least until all the Americans were out. Then he just broke the promise. And pulled out early, in fact. I can't imagine that the Taliban looks at that, or China, or Russia, any of these people, hostile actors, enemies of the United States, look at the broken promise to our own people and our own allies who risked their lives for us, and just a blithely dismissed, discarded blood oath from the President of the United States to them. So, oh yeah, I'm I'm sure we're going to take 
uh, these empty threats super seriously. Oh, yeah, they put us on notice, sure. It's embarrassing. Of course we can do drone strikes and missile strikes, and it's not like the anti-jihad effort will just completely go away. It'll be a lot harder in a lot of respects. We had those long-range so-called over-the-horizon capabilities, not exactly the same ones, but a similar mentality before 9-11. Now, I mentioned near the beginning of this segment that we have the positive development that some Westerners and Americans are being allowed out by the Taliban. Again, it's them making all of these decisions. They've got all the assurances that they've made. We've made promises to people, and the overwhelming majority of those people are still stuck and stranded inside Afghanistan, including Americans still. An unknown number, I will note. Because the White House is trying to tell us, oh, there might be less than 100 Americans left. Then they're saying, oh, look, we're allowing 143 Americans. We're trying to get them out from one airstrip. That math doesn't add up. Then you've got, what, 100 to 150 getting out. That includes some other foreigners, but getting out from Kabul The math is extremely convoluted. I think that's by design. But even with this baby step in the right direction, thanks to the good graces of the Taliban, in one narrow way, with all the other problems still absolutely active and live, Ned Price, the spokesman at the State Department, confirmed, yeah, the Taliban still isn't really living up to their precious commitments. I know you'll be shocked as I am. Listen to Cut 27. This was Price earlier. We have been able to confirm, at least to the best of our ability, not having personnel on the ground, uh, that there are uh, American citizens, that there are uh, LPRs, there are other at-risk Afghans to whom we do have that commitment, uh, who are uh, willing and ready to go uh, on one of these charter flights. And our contention continues to be Uh, that these individuals should be allowed to go. Uh, We have made that known very uh, publicly. You've heard the secretary speak to it uh, at some length, both in Doha uh, and in Germany yesterday and the day before. But we've also made this known privately. uh, And we have engaged with the Taliban, both Ambassador Khalilzad uh, and with the team that Ian McCary is is leading uh, out of Doha on this very question. Okay, so they've made their contention known publicly and privately. And the Taliban has taken that contention and thrown it into the garbage or flushed it down the toilet. They're saying, we will do what we want to do when we want to do it. And maybe you'll have to pay us or give us stuff that we want to get your highest value people out. And I'd imagine U.S. citizens are at the top of the totem pole, then other Americans, legal residents, and then just this huge roster of tens of thousands of Afghans that we promised to get out who are terrified for their lives. Still, this hasn't changed over the last few weeks. We're talking about it less in this country. The media is covering it less. It remains very real and extremely frightening to them for good reason. By the way, someone mined this old clip, 2015. This is a flashback. Jen Psaki, back when she was a spokesperson at the State Department, then under Obama and John Kerry. This was when the Obama administration traded those Taliban commanders out of Gitmo and Guantanamo Bay, sent them back in exchange for the deserter, Bo Bergdahl. Was it worth it? 
Megyn Kelly asked her that question on Fox News back on the Kelly file. Remember that back in the day, 2015. And Saki said, oh, absolutely it's worth it. I wonder if she still agrees with herself. <laughs> I wonder if Saki still agrees with herself. Now that those exact jihadists, and Tony Blinken, by the way, at the time, these people, you know, it's all retreads, a lot of them from the Obama years. They're saying, oh, yes, no, the threat of those people has been mitigated. We've got a handle on it. They are now helping to run the country of Afghanistan, deciding which Americans they will or will not let out. That's how well that's going. And just so you can rest assured that one very special lady is still unique in her degree of delusion, I want you to hear Speaker Pelosi talk about Afghanistan in Cut 5. Listen to this. I do think that uh, the historic uh, evacuation of 120,000 people was remarkable, and I commend the administration for that. This is never easy. That's not always uh, complete right from the start, uh, but it was remarkable, even though it got off to a, a, a hazy start. And... Uh, now we, now we go forward. Remarkable and commendable. That's the verdict from Nancy Pelosi. Now we go forward. wonder how that hits for the people still stuck over there that we left behind. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. A fresh take on the biggest stories of the day. It's Guy Benson. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Back on The Guy Benson Show, we will move on from Afghanistan. Coming up in the next hour with Jessica Tarloff, Dr. Sapphire, a lot to get to on COVID and politicizing COVID policies, some more evidence released on that in the last 24 hours. I just want to also bring to your attention briefly that a number of journalists were kidnapped, beaten, and tortured by the Taliban simply for covering the news and protests on the ground in Kabul. That's the friendlier, kinder new Taliban that apparently are our peace partners. They have some challenging backgrounds, as the secretary would say. I'm sure the media is up in arms over this abuse of journalists, right? Next hour, coming up, Guy Benson Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Our middle hour of three now underway here on The Guy Benson Show. It's Thursday, doing the show from Washington, D.C., coming to you live and glad that you are listening. Always honored. Thank you. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast is free every day, and it's really been growing significantly in recent weeks, and we are proud of that. We're also grateful. GuyBensonShow.com. Fox News alert. The Dow closes down for the fourth consecutive day. Down 151 points today, closing at 34,800. 
and 79. We also have some other breaking news that we'll get to here in just a moment with our first guest on today's show as we begin the new hour. It's Jesse Tarloff, Fox News contributor, head of research at Bustle. We call her chief romance correspondent here at the show as well, but she might need a new title in addition soon. <laughs> Jesse, welcome back. Thank you. So yesterday on the five at the very end, during one more thing, <laughs> there was a little occurrence. And <laughs> our mutual friend and colleague, Dana Perino, may have let the cat out of the bag on something prematurely. And I will, for the record, state that I was aware of this for some time and did not say anything. But on the five, it was sort of accidentally revealed. Here's what it sounded like yesterday. Cut 21. Uh, uh, Jessica, uh, you try anything new? I mean, you got something new coming. Yeah. And now... The audience knows. <laughs> so, I'm pregnant. <laughs> this is not how... Nicely I'm done. Really? Oh. You could have said anything. I, uh, first of all, I thought people knew. I am so sorry. It's totally... I, yeah. I also learned how to make sourdough bread. <laughs> okay. Like everybody. Okay. That would have been a great answer. Oh. Congratulations, Jesse, now that it has been broadcast to the world on The Five. What was that like, having uh, your pregnancy sort of spilled to millions of people? I mean, I'm, like, rarely lost for words, but there was a good, like, five seconds of TV hang time um, where I thought... Like, what do I do with this? You know, like, do I lie and say, like, the sourdough bread? Or, you know, or how do you play this? Um, and then I just thought, you know, F it, right? Um, and I'm, I'm far <laughs> enough along that I, you know, it's not, it's not early days anymore. And I had um, been putting off talking about it because at the same time that I was getting engaged, getting married. Um, I was also taking care of my dad, who recently passed away, as you know, and you've been so lovely about. And so, you know, we found out that we were pregnant four days after we got engaged. So, like, we were definitely going to go through with it, then the marriage and the baby. But you know what I mean? And so it's kind of, like, taken a back seat almost to what's been going on with my dad. And so I kept putting off talking about it at work because, I had all this crazy other stuff going on. Um, and so then I thought, you know, maybe this is just a great gift. It was also yeah, a good fortuitous in some ways. And, yeah, <laughs> totally. Was. And, and, you know, Dana is the sweetest human and she you know, really felt is. terrible about it. Um, and it was, I think it was just how it was meant to be. I guess. And she's had she's had a hard week, too, because she just lost her beloved oh, totally. dog, Jasper, and she and I were exchanging right. emails about that. So she's had a lot on her mind, and I think she, uh, she genuinely thought that it was already public. Of course. And then there was this yeah. brief moment of panic, and you just went with it, and you could hear Greg just losing it in the background. Yeah. So now that it can all be told, may I be just a little bit nosy and ask, when yeah. roughly are you due? Have you found out? Are you going to find out, boy or girl? We're just so excited. Just as we were so excited when you got engaged, we are so excited <laughs> that you're going to have a baby. 
Well, thank you. And um, since I'm moving at warp speed, I've managed to jam all of this good news for the guys, Benson show and listeners into yes. just a few months. Uh, <laughs> Chief motherhood correspondent. Oh, I, I don't think you want to even know what that entails. I am texting everyone currently about these oncoming stretch marks that are brutal and rude. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, finding out the gender, I have not checked with my husband if we are talking about that publicly, since he was also surprised that it was on national television. And he was at a work yep. event. So he Fair. started getting text messages from <laughs> other people being like, oh, my God, man, that's amazing. And he had thought that the thing that I was going to share about him yesterday was that he knew this comedian who overdosed on bad fentanyl. And he was like, this is a very strange reaction to like, Oh my I gosh. Grew up with that, with that comedian. I mean, it was like a full comedy of errors day. Um, so. Okay. So consult with him. You can consult gender. with your husband. Okay. Yes. But and, we and know what it is. Okay. That's very exciting. And if you tell me, yeah. I won't say it. Just don't tell Dana. Uh, because yeah. until you've said something publicly, maybe just withhold that little nugget from Dana Perino yeah, yeah, as much yeah. as we love her. Uh, but if you get permission, I hope as our chief romance and motherhood correspondent, you will perhaps break that news here on the show. And roughly when are you due? Uh, Mid-December. Okay. So a holidays yeah. baby, which is uh, yeah, also very uh, exciting. Well, congratulations. Yeah. We, are, we are just Thank over the you. moon for you guys. So much, so much happening in your life, uh, you know, good and bad in terms of the wedding of your child and, and losing your father. And uh, we're just honored to be your friend. And uh, we will look forward to pestering you and asking you all sorts of invasive questions in the days and weeks to awesome. come. Now, I, I, I do, Jessica, want to shift. <laughs> it's, I mean... You always agree to come on the show, which is which is kind of a, you have no idea what we're going to throw at you. So some of this also is your own fault, uh, but we really do enjoy it. And I think people like to get to know some of our Fox News colleagues, uh, and we do some of that personal stuff here on the show. We also do business and politics and news, and I would like to bring our audience a Fox News alert. This is breaking from the Wall Street Journal, which is owned by the same parent company as Fox News, they have gotten information that the president, Joe Biden, when he speaks later this evening, and we will bring that audio live as he speaks, he's supposed to uh, join the nation and talk about COVID at the top of the hour around 5 p.m. Eastern time. One of the things that the White House is going to announce is that the United States federal government will require companies with more than 100 employees to mandate COVID vaccines or weekly testing for their staff. This is according to senior White House officials. This requirement will cover roughly 80 million private sector workers. And Jessica, I'm just reacting to this news in real time as you are. I say this as someone who is adamantly, consistently pro-vaccine. I don't think anyone who's Mm -hmm. listened to this show or read my work for months on end could question those bona fides. I strongly encourage vaccination. I was all on board. I got vaccinated, my friends and family, everything. And I still hold that position fervently. However, I am not sure, and I'm not a lawyer, neither are you, but constitutionally speaking, for the federal government to mandate that all private companies 
over 100 employees must impose a mandate on their employees? I do not know where that authority comes from, based on my cursory knowledge of the Constitution. And I wonder how you're thinking about that as this report emerges. So two-part thought process. First part that I do as someone obviously incredibly pro-vaccine as well, um, think that it's good that the federal government has been pushing this so hard. Um, And then as a corollary, there is that uh, either you get vaccinated or you get tested once a week, right? So they're not forcing people to get vaccinated. You can get a test. The second part of what I'm thinking is along the same lines as you, which is this is going to, I assume, be tied up in court until we have, you know, the the Zeta variant, right? And Zeta is not a thing, but you know what I mean? Like, we're, this is going right. to take a long time, I think, to get enforced for companies, private companies. That How do you enforce it? it? There are, I, I, I don't know. Um, I assume that he will explain how that works. I mean, a lot of private companies have obviously taken this step already on their own. Um, I think that he's probably trying to push some of the hesitant ones or the ones on the fence over the edge. Um, But I think there's going to be a lot of backlash to it, even though I don't see why having a testing mandate is such a big deal. Well, Um, okay, so to decide uh, on their own. Here's the thing. And you're right that there's a number of different things to unpack here. I think that private companies should have the flexibility and freedom to mandate vaccines for their employees. I think it is especially, frankly, important that they do so if they are health care providers or long-term care facilities for elderly people and other vulnerable populations. I would support mandates in those circumstances. I am less a fan of mandates under other circumstances. I know that the federal government has the authority, or at least there's a strong likelihood, in my view, again, as a layperson, there's a strong likelihood that the president and the federal government, the executive branch, has a pretty broad power to mandate stuff like this on federal employees. And there are reports that they will get rid of the vaccine or testing option it's just vaccine or bust vaccine or you're out uh you might argue that that is heavy-handed i think that is a little heavy-handed but i can at least understand the authority under which the federal government would do that because it's the federal government's own employees in this case what the wall street journal is reporting the president is going to do later today he's going to announce a requirement from the federal government for private companies about what they must do involving their employees on this question of vaccination or testing or whatever. And I'm just not sure, constitutionally speaking, that that's going to pass muster. And also, I just remind you, when President Biden was president-elect Biden late in 2020, he said that he was opposed to mandating the vaccine. For anyone. That's what he said back then. This is a very far cry from that, especially after we have more than 70 percent of eligible people in this country or adults at least partially vaccinated. That's a pretty good number to then have the federal government, the feds come in and say, hey, every single company of a certain size. And by the way, why cap it at 100? 
if you're gonna if you're going to assert this authority to tell companies what they must do on vaccines why spare smaller businesses if this is you know about public health that's another piece of this that i really don't understand yeah i mean you have to think that there's some sort of small business burden situation going on and i don't know if they're thinking about this in terms of the organizations that have been hit the hardest during the pandemic it's our small businesses um i don't really know and it, it is one of those moments um where i'm hoping that we'll get a fair amount of detail fleshed out um, in all of this. I think that's kind of the name of the game, often in Washington, right, that they talk about something and then you don't actually know how it works. Um, And you get these huge bills that they put together overnight and then some representative is brave enough to tell a reporter the bill's 1,400 pages and we got it 20 minutes before the vote. And by the way, at least least that's legislation. I think that that's a really rotten way to make legislation, but that's at least legislation going through two chambers and over to the president, you know, sort of the how a bill becomes a law, uh, you know, video that we all saw as kids, Schoolhouse Rock. That's the process. This is just an edict from effectively one man telling what the private sector and these various companies within the private sector telling them what they must do. Again, I'm very pro-vaccine. I think that this is an unconstitutional at first blush, and I will we will definitely get some constitutional experts on this show because this is just breaking uh, within the last few minutes. We'll get some constitutional experts on, and I think Jessica and I will openly <laughs> cop. We are we are mm-hmm. not that here, uh, but no. it seems to me at first glance that this is an unconstitutional abuse of power. And I think you're absolutely right that this is going to touch off a very significant legal battle, uh, probably immediately. That's my guess. Jesse, I want to get your reaction to one other story having to do with politics and uh, Congress. As a Democrat, I want to get your take on it. Joe Manchin, the more moderate Democratic senator from West Virginia, he has said that his, and this is according to Axios, his red line on the reconciliation big spending bill, Democrats only, his red line is $1.5 trillion, which is obviously quite a ways off from the $3.5 trillion that Democratic leadership wants. The progressives say that's not nearly enough. They say $3.5 million is a basement. It's a bare minimum. It's a down payment. Manchin's saying, no, that's crazy. We can't afford this stuff. $1.5, that's my number. Chuck Schumer has apparently rejected that, but I'm not really sure if Chuck Schumer has a choice if he needs every last vote, including Manchin's. It seems like there's maybe a bit of a, a, a real fight brewing here within congressional Democrats. Your thoughts quickly. Um, it's interesting this time around because it's congressional Democrats in the truest sense. You have Joe Manchin and then a moderate Dem in the House um, who's already said that she's going to vote against the bill. And there was Even a little bit of an upheaval in committee. Right. So um, I think it is not going to be obviously easy pickings it's not going through it at 3.5 i don't think mansion will break down on that i can't see any republicans you know crossing over to join dems on this infrastructure was a different beast altogether and the republicans didn't want a separate reconciliation bill to begin with i don't know if it'll be 1.5 trillion i believe they will get something through the democrats have been miraculously united uh throughout the first few months of the biden administration and i think schumer and pelosi will get it done 
Uh, yeah, well, that, that's Jim true. But the, is- the unity might be a little frayed at the moment, and uh, Chuck and Nancy might be popping some Excedrin based on this new headache with this number that has made the progressives furious. But Manchin seems to be digging in. We shall see. Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, head of research, a mother, an expectant mother. We're all very excited about all the things. Jesse, we'll have you back soon. Congratulations. Thanks so much, Guy. I appreciate it. It's the Guy Benson Show. A fresh take on the biggest stories of the day. It's Guy Benson. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Chaos yesterday as we're back on the Guy Benson show. That was in California. A lot of bleeping going on. An attack, a confrontation involving Larry Elder, who is running for governor. We talked about the recall election, which is on Tuesday in California. He was walking down the street. Larry Elder, the leading Republican, happens to be black. And a white progressive woman wearing a gorilla mask threw an egg at him. And then other progressives started shoving Elder supporters. I mean, you have to wonder. It's really not much of a question. If a black Democrat were egged by a right winger, a white person wearing a gorilla mask, I wonder if that would be a national national news story. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. I am Guy Benson. This is The Guy Benson Show. Our website, guybensonshow.com. Podcasts always free. And with us now is Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, and best-selling author. Her most recent book is Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science. Isn't that relevant? In the fight against COVID-19. Doctor, welcome back. As always, thanks for having me, guys. Let's begin with the president's speech, which is expected in about 25 minutes. He might be a bit tardy, as he often is, but... We know that he is planning on laying out six prongs, is what they're calling it, in the fight against the pandemic moving forward. I saw on your Twitter feed, you laid out what you hope you will hear based on your medical judgment and your research into this virus. What would you like to hear from President Biden this evening? Well, what I'd like to hear, I am certain, is not what we will be hearing, unfortunately, Um, As they've already had some mentions earlier, it seems like he's going to be focusing more on mandates. I also believe that he's going to discuss increased accessibility to testing, hopefully in schools and workplaces. Um, And that's one of the things that is actually on my list. Um, For me, what I would really like to hear come from the president today is I would like them to finally acknowledge the ample data at this point pointing to the uh, protection of natural immunity those who have recovered from COVID-19, 
um, potentially broadening their recommendations when it comes to vaccinations. Say if someone has already recovered from COVID-19, whether they need the vaccine or not is still debatable. Um, They certainly, there's no data to show that they need two doses of a vaccine after they have a natural immunity. There is some argument that maybe they would benefit from a single dose. And then also going on that, talking about adolescents, we need to be less black and white. I would love to hear him and even the CDC, of course, they're not going to be a part of this, but I would love them to open up that conversation about vaccinating our adolescents. Should we be giving them two doses as we have seen more and more cases of myocarditis? Should they be more flexible about giving potentially one dose? What about all those adolescents who have already recovered from COVID-19? I would really like them to be a bit more with the science as the UK and other places in Europe are. I'd also like to see, and this is the one thing I do think that he will say, is I would like to see schools and businesses have broader access to rapid tests. At this point, it is completely crazy that schools are continuing to be shut down because of new cases. Kids are quarantining because of, quote, unquote, close contacts. Their siblings are having to quarantine even longer. And so, again, we have all of these children out of schools. In no way, shape or form should a child not be in school unless they are sick or they are testing positive for SARS-CoV-2. Enough with the quarantines, enough with the contact tracing in that sense of the kids who are asymptomatic and have negative tests. There's no reason they can't be in school. And I'm really hoping that President Biden hones in on that. I'd also like to hear him say, hey, you know what? We finally need to make sure that people can go to their primary care doctor and get the vaccine, or they can get the monoclonal antibodies when they're mildly ill to prevent them from becoming severely ill and being hospitalized. The fact that the majority of primary care doctors don't have access to the vaccine right now, it blows my mind because most people trust their doctors more than anyone, more than the random person at the CVS pharmacy. Yeah, that strikes me as insane. I think that a lot of what you're laying out here is unlikely to be what the president has in mind and what he's going to read for us in a few minutes, perhaps with the exception about increased testing access. Here's one of the concerns that I have, doctor, and this goes back to a conversation that we have had on and off now for many months. The CDC and the public health bureaucracy is really struggling on credibility. There's a Gallup poll out just yesterday showing only about three in 10 Americans feel confident in the CDC's ability to communicate a clear plan for them and clear guidance for what they should do and what the country should do on COVID-19. And part of that arises from stories, for example, like what Fox reported just yesterday, that when the CDC had put out new masking guidance a number of months back, some deep-pocketed teachers unions immediately freaked out, pushed back. There were internal emails that were FOIA'd. And there were top union bosses, including Randy Weingarten, apparently on phone calls or in contact with the CDC and the Biden administration. And within a day or two, the guidance changed. And whether you're in favor of masking in schools and masking kids, we've had that debate ad nauseum here. And I often cite the UK and the EU and how incredibly detached their data and their experience is from the rhetoric and the political fights here in the United States. Whatever you think of that, I would like to feel confident that the CDC guidance on a pandemic is not 
whether it's related to schools or anything else, is not being influenced by special interest groups. But now we have some evidence that for the second time in the last year and a half, there's there's proof in black and white that major teachers unions, a, a Democratic special interest group, have played some role in shaping or even altering CDC guidance for the American people. And I can't imagine that that has not had an impact on trust, confidence, and credibility. Your thoughts? Well, Guy, I mean, unequivocally, the teachers' unions have played a role in the CDC recommendations as it pertains to schools. And unfortunately, it hasn't been a good role. It would have been a good role if the CDC was getting ready to do something, but then the teachers' union, I don't know, presented some data or presented case studies that occurred elsewhere that may benefit children in the United States. But what happened was the CDC takes the data that they have and they're saying, okay, you know what, we're going to remove the mask from the vaccinated. We're going to start removing some of these barriers. And the teachers union, they don't present anything to counter that in terms of science or data or really anything that's even common sense. They just essentially say, we're not going to do that. And we're going to slander you in the press. And yeah, they threat- there were threats made, effort. apparently. Yes. And it is a bullying effort, not based on science. And each time the CDC has caved. Now, I, I mentioned this, I think, to you in the spring, but... CDC Director Walensky, when she, before she became the director of the CDC, back when she was in the Boston area, very well-known physician, very respected, she was sent an email by the mayor asking her about children going back to school. And she said kids should go back to school, that six feet of distancing is not necessary, but we have to get those kids to school. And yet fast forward, as she's the CDC director, she caves down to the teachers' unions, they continued saying that there needed to be distance. They continued saying that we can have hybrid models and everything else that she was against before she was in a role that undergoes political influence. And I can tell you now, I am someone who has always respected the CDC. Come on, that's my profession. But right. at this point, my disappointment is through the roof that I, have, I am convinced they are no longer unbiased. They are beyond beyond influenced by these lobby powerhouses and it's very upsetting yes yeah and here's on that same vein and along that same thread we heard from joe biden and it was a great very effective soundbite and talking point during the campaign where he said well you know trump's out there spitballing at the podium and attacking these people and suggesting things sort of off the wall stuff occasionally we're not going to do that under my administration if you elect me america we are going to allow the science to dictate our policy always the science not the politics and a bunch of people clapped and said oh goody yes that's what we want and yet you just gave and we talked about one major example of the science being upended by politics then we have the matter of booster shots And we got into this a little bit yesterday with Dr. Manny on the show. It has been very hard for me to even follow what the federal government is telling us on booster shots, because I understand that there's some data that they're very effective in Israel, especially among older people, as there might be some waning uh, immunity from people who were vaccinated many months ago, which were the most vulnerable and the oldest people in, in those early days. 
I really have no problem with booster shots at all for that crowd. It makes perfect sense to me just from a common sense perspective. But the Biden administration kind of got out there and announced, well, we think this is what we're going to be uh, recommending for all Americans, regardless of age or, or risk level. And I remember asking a few of you guys, the medical experts, does that make sense? Is this something that we should all embrace quickly? I mean, do I want to start scheduling out my booster shot? I've, I've actually had COVID, as you know, and plus the two shots. It just seemed like a pretty blanket policy that they put out there into the universe. And then you had two FDA commissioners or, or regulators, I should say, resign in protest because the actual scientists hadn't come to this determination based on the data yet, and the administration went out and said it anyway, then there were reports that the CDC and the FDA were saying, well, maybe let's hold off on this whole universal booster shot thing. And there are now some reports emerging that Biden is going to double down on booster shots for everyone in this speech coming up in a few minutes. Again, you know, I can't necessarily follow the bouncing ball here of what they're recommending, whether it is substantiated by data, why they seem to, you know, get out over their skis sometimes and say things, and they always, you know, worship at the altar of science, but then don't necessarily respect that process in certain circumstances. It is confusing, and I think it is... It cultivates a distrust, even among some of us who are more trustworthy of these institutions, and deepens distrust for those who are intrinsically or inherently skeptical, to, uh, skeptical I should say, to begin with. Well, Guy, so one thing when it comes to defending the science or following the science is when you acknowledge what the data shows, but also acknowledging when you don't have data. When it comes to boosters, listen, it makes sense to give a third dose in the elderly and immunocompromised and otherwise vulnerable. They already have a level of immunosenescence, meaning it's harder in them to boost an immune response. And if they do, it tends to wane much faster than the rest of us. Based on what we've seen in Israel, based on what we're seeing in the United States, we know that, okay, maybe that third shot, that booster, will be better in that population. Maybe we shouldn't have done those first two doses so close together. Maybe we should just actually count that as one dose, and now this booster shot is really the second dose that's going to amp up the immune system. So we have some data showing that that may be helpful. But what we don't have data on is whether the general population, specifically the younger adults, the healthier adults, really need that booster shot. Maybe it increases their antibodies. But does it actually change the long-term outcome? Because if they have some level of immunity and the vaccine is keeping them out of the hospital, keeping them from severe illness, then what is the point of that third booster shot so that they don't get the cold? Well, you know what? We have to be okay with getting a cold. And we have to know that when we have a cold, we shouldn't go around vulnerable people anyway. Whether it was flu, whether it was COVID, colds can kill people. And that is why we have so many elderly die every year of pneumonia and flu and other things, because right. people would go to work. They'd go around their family members with a cold. Maybe we'll have a little bit more self-awareness now. The vaccine at this point in the general population still keeps the people out of the hospital. It is very effective at preventing severe disease. It is moderately effective at pre- preventing infection. But I'm okay with a cold. We should all be okay with the cold. Right, and this is exactly the conversation you and I had around my breakthrough case, which was effectively 
a very, very mild cold. And just to put a pin in this conversation for now, it is disturbing to me, setting aside all the mandate stuff that is apparently coming uh, and a big legal battle ahead on that from President Biden. When I hear the CDC and the FDA say something, I want to be able to have confidence that I can take it to the bank, that it's really grounded in very strong evidence and data and science, and that it is not sullied by political considerations and that it is communicated clearly as such. And unfortunately, my degree of confidence on those points has been drastically diminished because of one mistake after another, I would say, uh, and one sort of betrayal of trust after another from some of these people that we're not supposed to ever question. And I think once you pile mandates on top of it, this is where backlash uh, you know, breeds. This is wh- this is why you get so much distrust, and and it tends to sometimes grow. Doctor, we've got to leave it there for now. I do want to come back at some point in one of our subsequent future conversations about this. About you know, what is the actual end game here? The path forward sustainably into the future because it it feels like we are all over the map literally different states different cities doing radically different things different expectations from some people what the future with covid should look like is it an endemic disease how do we get back to real normal what would that look like that's something that i think a lot of us are are very eager to have insight into and uh perhaps next time you're back we can sink our teeth into that one because Right now, it just feels like a nightmare that keeps going, and normal still feels like a foreign concept in a lot of ways. Uh, in the meantime, people should buy your book. I mean, listen to this this headline or this this title, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. That's the subtitle of Dr. Nicole Sapphire's book, Panic Attack, and it seems particularly apropos today in light of everything that we're discussing. Dr. Sapphire, as always, we appreciate your time and your expertise. And thank you for having me. You bet. It's The Guy Benson Show. I've got some flashback audio that you do not want to miss ahead of the new speech from President Biden. We will go back in time not that far at all. President Biden, Jen Psaki on vaccine mandates. You're going to want to hear this when we come back. Energetic, informed, fast-paced. Guy Benson Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory, but I would do everything in my power. It's like I don't think masks have to be made mandatory nationwide. I do everything in my power as President of the United States to encourage people do the right thing and when they do it demonstrate that it matters it's the guy benson show that was president-elect joe biden back in december 2020 he was a few weeks away from being inaugurated he was asked about vaccine mandates and he said no he would not require it he would not mandate it and we are now expecting within minutes for the president of the united states to come out and tell the country that in addition to a blanket basically no exemption vaccine requirement for federal workers the government is going to try to force private companies to require vaccines or weekly testing as well which is a whole constitutional uh, i would say not a crisis but a constitutional uh, thorny 
set of questions that will be addressed, I'd imagine, with lawsuits almost immediately. But that was back last year. What about a few weeks ago, late July? Here's Jen Psaki, the president's spokeswoman. Listen to Cut 28. One that's not the role of the federal government. Um, That is the role that institutions, private sector entities, uh, and others may take. That certainly is appropriate. Also, local communities uh, are going to take steps they need to take uh, in order to protect people in their communities. She was answering a question about vaccine requirements, vaccine mandates. She said that is not the role of the federal government. That was a few weeks ago. But now apparently it is going to be the role for the federal government. According to the president, we will hear from him coming up in the next hour on The Guy Benson Show. Much more to come. Stay with us. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Final hour here on the Guy Benson Show, Thursday edition. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast is free every day. And the happy hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Find out more about them at TheLongDrink.com. 21 plus only. Please always drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com. Fox News alert. President Biden on time this evening addressing the nation on COVID. So far, it's been a pretty political speech which is maybe not surprising at this point, but certainly disappointing. He's going to outline his plan for combating the pandemic moving forward. Let's listen live to the president at the White House. I think minority of elected officials are keeping us from turning the corner. These pandemic politics, as I refer to, are, are, make, are making people sick, causing unvaccinated people to die. We cannot allow these actions to stand in the way of protecting the large majority of Americans who have done their part and want to get back to life as normal. As your president, I'm announcing tonight a new plan to require more Americans to be vaccinated to combat those blocking public health. My plan also increases testing, protects our economy, and will make our kids safer in schools. It consists of six broad areas of action and many specific measures in each that in each of those actions you can read more about in whitehouse.gov. Whitehouse.gov. The measures, these are going to take time to have full impact. But if we implement them, I believe and the scientists indicate that the months ahead we can reduce the number of unvaccinated Americans decrease hospitalizations and deaths, and allow our children to go to school safely and keep our economy strong by keeping businesses open. First, we must increase vaccinations among the unvaccinated with new vaccination requirements. Of the nearly 80 million eligible Americans who have not gotten vaccinated, many said they were waiting for approval from the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, Well, last month, the FDA granted that approval. 
So the time for waiting is over. This summer, we made progress through the combination of vaccine requirements and incentives, as well as the FDA approval. Four million more people got their first shot in August than they did in July. But we need to do more. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you, the people you work with, the people you care about, the people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. Some of the biggest companies are already requiring this. United Airlines, Disney, Tyson's Food, and even Fox News. The bottom line, we're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers. We're going to reduce the spread of COVID-19 by increasing the share of the workforce that is vaccinated in businesses all across America. My plan will extend the vaccination requirements that I previously issued in the healthcare field. Already, I've announced We'll be requiring vaccinations at all nursing home workers who treat patients on Medicare and Medicaid because I have that federal authority. Tonight, I'm using that same authority to expand that to cover those who work in hospitals, home health care facilities, or other medical facilities. A total of 17 million health care workers. If you're seeking care at a health facility, you should be able to know that the people treating you are vaccinated. Simple, straightforward, period. Next, I will sign an executive order that will now require all executive branch federal employees to be vaccinated, all. And I've signed another executive order that will require federal contractors to do the same. If you want to work with the federal government and do business with us, get vaccinated. If you want to do business with the federal government, vaccinate your workforce. And tonight, I'm removing one of the last remaining obstacles that make it difficult for you to get vaccinated. The Department of Labor will require employers with 100 or more workers to give those workers paid time off to get vaccinated. No one should lose pay in order to get vaccinated or take a loved one to get vaccinated. Today, In total, the vaccine requirements in my plan will affect about 100 million Americans, two-thirds of all workers. And for other sectors, I issue this appeal to those of you running large entertainment venues, from sports arenas to concert venues to movie theaters, please require folks to get vaccinated or show a negative test as a condition of entry and to the nation's family physicians, pediatricians, GPs, general practitioners. You're the most trusted medical voice to your patients. You may be the one person who can get someone to change their mind about being vaccinated. Tonight, I'm asking each of you to reach out to your unvaccinated patients over the next two weeks and make a personal appeal to them 
to get the shot. America needs your personal involvement in this critical effort. My message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. So please, do the right thing. But just don't take it from me. Me, Listen to the voices of unvaccinated Americans who are lying in hospital beds, taking their final breath, saying, if only I'd gotten vaccinated. If only. It's a tragedy. Please don't let it become yours. Second piece of my plan is continuing to protect the vaccinated. For the vast majority of you who have gotten vaccinated, I understand your anger at those who haven't gotten vaccinated. I understand the anxiety about getting a breakthrough case. But as the science makes clear, if you're fully vaccinated, you're highly protected from severe illness, even if you get COVID-19. In fact, recent data indicates there is only one confirmed positive case per 5,000 fully vaccinated Americans per day. You're as safe as possible, and we're doing everything we can to keep it that way, keep it that way, keep you safe. That's where boosters come in. The shots that give you even more protection than after your second shot. Now, I know there's been some confusion about boosters, so let me be clear. Last month, our top government doctors announced an initial plan for booster shots for vaccinated Americans. They believe that a booster is likely to provide the highest level of protection yet. Of course, the decision of which booster shots to give, when to start them, and who will give them will be left completely to the scientists at the FDA and the Centers for Disease Control. But while we wait, we've done our part. We bought enough boosters, enough booster shots, and the distribution system is ready to administer them. As soon as they are authorized, those eligible will be able to get a booster right away in tens of thousands of sites across the, sites across the country for most Americans at your nearby drugstore and for free. The third piece of my plan is keeping, and maybe the most important, is keeping our children safe and our schools open. For any parent, it doesn't matter how low the risk of any illness or accident is when it comes to your child or grandchild. Trust me, I know. So, let me speak to you directly. Let me speak to you directly to help ease some of your worries. It comes down to two separate categories. Children ages 12 and older who are eligible for a vaccine now, and children ages 11 and under who are not yet eligible. The safest thing for your child 12 and older is to get them vaccinated. They get vaccinated for a lot of things. That's it. Get them vaccinated. As with adults, almost all the serious COVID-19 cases we're seeing among adolescents 
are in unvaccinated 12 to 17-year-olds, an age group that lags behind in vaccination rates. So parents, please get your teenager vaccinated. What about children under the age of 12 who can't get vaccinated yet? Well, the best way for a parent to protect their child under the age of 12 starts at home. Every parent, every teen sibling, every caregiver around them should be vaccinated. Children have four times higher chance of getting hospitalized if they live in a state with low vaccination rates rather than states with high vaccination rates. Now, if you're a parent of a young child, you're wondering, when will it be, when will it be the vaccine available for them? I strongly support independent scientific review for vaccine uses for children under 12. We can't take shortcuts for that scientific work. But I've made it clear I will do everything within my power to support the FDA with any resource it needs to continue to do this as safely and as quickly as possible. And our nation's top doctors are committed to keeping the public at large updated on the process so parents can plan. Now to the schools. We know that if schools follow the science and implement the safety measures like testing, masking, adequate ventilation systems as we provided the money for, social distancing, and vaccinations, then children can be safe from COVID-19 in schools. Today, about 90% of school staffs and teachers are vaccinated. We should get that to 100%. My administration has already acquired teachers at the schools run by the Defense Department because I have the authority as president of the federal system, the Defense Department and the Interior Department, to get vaccinated. That's authority I possess. Tonight, I'm announcing that we require all of nearly 300,000 educators in the federal paid program, Head Start program, must be vaccinated as well to protect your youngest our youngest, most precious Americans, and give parents the comfort. And tonight, I'm calling on all governors to require vaccination for all teachers and staff. Some already have done so, but we need more to step up. Vaccination requirements in schools are nothing new. They work. They're overwhelmingly supported by educators and their unions. And all school officials trying to do the right thing by our children, I'll always be on your side. Let me be blunt. My plan also takes on elected officials and states that are undermining you in these life-saving actions. Right now, local school officials are trying to keep children safe in a pandemic while their governor picks a fight with them and even threatens their salaries or their jobs. Talk about bullying in schools. If they'll not help, if these governors won't help us beat the pandemic, I'll use my power as president to get them out of the way. The Department of Education has already begun to take legal action against states undermining protection that local school officials have ordered. Any teacher or school official whose pay is withheld for doing the right thing we will have that pay restored by the federal government 100%. I promise you, I will have your back. The fourth piece of my plan 
is increasing testing and masking. From the start, America has failed to do enough COVID-19 testing. In order to better detect and control the Delta variant, I'm taking steps tonight to make testing more available, more affordable, and more convenient. I'll use the Defense Production Act to increase production of rapid tests, including those that you can use at home. While that production is ramping up, my administration has worked with top retailers like Walmart, Amazon, and Kroger's. And tonight... You're listening to President Biden announcing his COVID plan moving forward on the pandemic. We've got a break. We will pick it up when we return live. We'll see if he takes questions. It's the Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fox News alert here on The Guy Benson Show. President Biden still going at the White House. It sounds like he is getting close to completing his remarks on his COVID plan. Unclear if he will take questions. Let's listen again live. Countries in need of vaccines. And I'll be announcing additional steps to help the rest of the world later this month. As I recently released uh, the key parts of my pandemic preparedness plan so that America isn't caught flat-footed with a new pandemic comes again, as it will, next month, I'm also going to release a plan in greater detail. So let me close with this. We have so we've made so much progress during the past seven months of this pandemic. The recent increases in vaccinations in August already are having an impact in some states where case counts are dropping in recent days. Even so, we remain at a critical moment, a critical time. We have the tools. Now we just have to finish the job with truth, with science, with confidence. And together, as one nation, look, we're the United States of America. There's nothing, not a single thing we're unable to do if we do it together. So let's stay together. God bless you all and all those who continue to serve on the front lines of this pandemic. And may God protect our troops. Get vaccinated. Well, that's President Biden wrapping up, concluding his remarks with a whisper, get vaccinated, and a little pound on the podium. You heard some shouting there from members of the press corps trying to ask questions, but it looks like he's not taking any as he walked off and out of the room. So no questions from President Biden as he concludes his speech to the country on COVID-19. He expressed a lot of frustration with unvaccinated people, took some very political shots at people like Ron DeSantis, not by name, and announced some measures that I think will certainly garner constitutional scrutiny, to put it lightly. We'll get Josh Krasauer's reaction after this on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. You're listening to The Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, our website, the podcast, on demand, no charge to you if you miss any part 
of any program. But we just heard from President Biden. We caught nearly all of his remarks live on the pandemic. I have a lot of thoughts, but our final guest of the show has been patiently waiting on the line, listening to the whole speech. And I want to get his take first. Josh Krasauer is politics editor at National Journal and a Fox News radio political analyst. Josh, as you think about what the president just said in that speech to the country, what jumps out at you as the big takeaways uh, and sort of the political or uh, public health impact of the president's words? So, Guy, I mean, I think I'm very much an outcome-based analyst in that does it work? Do do these regulations, if they go into law, are they going to help people get vaccinated? Are they going to make the country (laughs) a healthier place? And, you know, look, I think the, the, the best case scenario is these regulations, if they, if they get past the law, no court challenges, uh, you know, it'll be like the smoking bans of the, of the 90s and 2000s where people complain, don't like the change, but they adapt, people get healthier, and, and it's widely accepted. I, I, I think that the, the maybe more likely outcome is that this will become another political food fight. The remaining holdouts who, according to all the data, We've seen polling and, 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 and the number of data from the vaccinations. The people who are holding out now on the, on the vaccine are true, true believers or, or non-believers in the vaccine. I mean, I, I'm a strong advocate of, of vaccines. I got vaccinated the second I had the opportunity to. Um, but you can look at this group of holdouts, and they're not sort of on the fence. They, they are very much ideologically uh, anti-COVID vaccines. And you can see they're willing to, to risk death as we've seen in, in, in parts of the country, um, knowing, knowing the stakes, knowing, knowing the data out there. So, you know, maybe a handful of them are, are going to get vaccinated because their job will, will require them to. But I, I, I'm concerned that people actually give up their jobs. <laughs> you know, you, you see uh, the vast majority of one poll that Frank Luntz, the, the Republican pollster, cited, also a very pro-vaccine advocate, saying that the vast majority of holdouts uh, will, will risk their job will leave their job uh, to avoid having to get the vaccine. And if that happens, if that's the case, we, we would, we're not going to improve our, our public health situation and we'll have another political food fight that could just hard make this a, a very, uh, very ugly uh, uh, battle for, for a long time to come. And some economic impacts as well, given the labor shortage that currently exists. Look, I understand There are a lot of vaccinated people who are frustrated with unvaccinated people. That is a real sentiment for many. I don't know if the president channeling that frustration is necessarily constructive or helpful. Uh, it, It might play well among a certain number of people politically. I don't know in terms of the outcomes, as you mentioned, if it's going to be helpful. There's also the question about, and I don't know if you noticed this, He, for a number of the mandates that he mentioned and the requirements and what he was going to do and doubling this and doubling that and expanding this requirement and that mandate, for a number of those bullet points, he cited the authority that he at least says he has to do so. Unless I missed it, I didn't get a clear picture of that on what's going to be, I think, one of the most controversial parts of this, which is the Biden administration not advising private companies of 100 employees or more to require vaccines or weekly testing, but requiring them or at least trying to require them to do so. And we played some sound in the last hour once this news broke that he was going to do this. We played sound of Biden himself saying they were not going to mandate vaccines. 
Uh, Jen Psaki at the White House said that was not the role of the federal government. That was just a few weeks ago that she said that. CDC Director uh, Rochelle Walensky said the same thing. There's not going to be requirements or mandates for the vaccine. Now it looks like the story is sort of on a dime changing. They are going to try to mandate vaccines, even in the private sector for private businesses. And yeah. already, Josh, I know that the, the legal challenges, I, I can imagine that there are people typing up lawsuits the paperwork for lawsuits literally as we speak. So uh, as far as the politics go, Guy, I mean, what's interesting, and it's almost counterintuitive because I, I, I'm much more pro-vaccine than I would be like mandatory masking, especially in areas that don't have high spread. But if you look at the polling, more, more Americans support masking um, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a way to, to, to decrease COVID spread than they do, you know, requiring vaccines. In fact, Which there was a poll in Virginia not- that came out... Yeah. It's not even. It's not based on science, but it's not based it is on science. what it is. I'm just talking about political, where the politics are. There was a right. poll that just came out today in, from Virginia, blue, blue-leaning state. I think it was a low 50s supported uh, government vaccine mandate. So again, a majority, but it's a narrow majority and, and a decent and deep opposition, even in, even in a bluish state. Um, you know, my, my concern is that now the people who don't like vaccines for whatever reason are going to say you're 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 costing us our jobs you're 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 all of a sudden this becomes an economic issue instead of a health issue you know we're going to be hearing stories about people that get fired or or quit their jobs as a result of these mandates and you know in a way that that almost makes them the victim and almost makes them the, the subject of sympathy rather than this being a discussion about get vaccinated it saves your life it, it's going to they're going to be other um you know angles that are that are brought into oh, the debate there's also the constitutional authority question and that piece of it, which is not a small thing, right? Is it, can the federal government, can the president of the United States tell every business basically of a certain size, every business in America, you must require these things of your employees? I mean, I guess when the federal government required under Obamacare that everyone buy a product, that was an expansion of federal authority. This seems at the very least, to be constitutionally dubious. I think we're probably going to get a, a pretty ugly constitutional fight over this as well. Yeah, well, again, you're, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head, Guy, because these, I guarantee you, Christy Nome, the very conservative governor of South Dakota, already has announced a legal challenge that so she's going to challenge the law. Uh, and, and so that means, I, I imagine that means you, these, these things are not going to even be implemented for a while until they go through the courts. So, you know, like I said at the outset, Guy, I, I'm kind of a bottom line, from, aside from the politics, I'm sort of a bottom line um, person, and if, if the, these regulations don't even go to effect for another year or two, and maybe the pandemic, the numbers drop significantly in that time period, it's a needless political fight. It doesn't solve the problem we're dealing with. I, I, you know, I think it could make make things worse. And uh, you know, and, and it, it, you know, that, 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 that's the challenge. I mean, it's not easy to get these holdouts who deeply oppose getting vaccinated how, how do you how do you you know do you use sticks you use carrots i don't know if the carrots were working great uh with with this group but i don't know if the sticks are going to work either and the problem is that now there's a lot more oppo for the anti-vax folks to, to, to dig into whether it's the constitutional questions or frankly whether it's just you know you bringing the economy into into the into the into the equation telling them you know, make a choice between a job and a vaccine. That's a, that's a pretty tough choice for a lot of people. Were you were you at all surprised by the tone? The president seemed uh, kind of defiant and angry. We we saw that from him on Afghanistan too, and then again now on on COVID. It didn't feel at all like really a persuasion speech at times. It was scolding 
unvaccinated people. He repeatedly took aim at people like Ron DeSantis, who was almost obviously directed at the governor of Florida, maybe a few others as well. But there were multiple instances where they wrote into the speech clear attacks against political opponents like Ron DeSantis. This felt to me like a very politicized speech and not an effort by a president to say, here are six things that we're going to do and here's why I think we ought to do them. It felt angrier and more politicized than that to my ears much of the time. Well, I wonder you, what you think. Yeah, yeah, whether you agree or disagree with what Biden said in the speech, there's no doubt this was a political speech. The, you look at the polling, the polling the White House has been doing, Joe Biden's strength when the pandemic was under control, but with, with, there were very few cases, was, was at its peak. He was in the 60s, you know, very bipartisan approval. It's dropped to, to 50, in the 50s and some, some cases below that. Um, he needed to turn things around. He needed to show he's in charge. And this is how the White House decided they wanted to, to, to have him do that. Um, they didn't want him to be a sort of a bystander to the, to the, to the crises going on with COVID in, in a lot of the country. Um, now, I think if you look at the polling on vaccines, like I was saying, you know, I think there is like I, I think their calculation is a lot of people are especially vaccinated folks are frustrated with the, the holdouts, the people that have refused to get vaccinated despite all the science, right. despite all the evidence. But I think, again, it's kind of like Afghanistan guy. A lot of people wanted withdrawal, but they didn't anticipate the second order and third order effects of what would, ha- what would happen when you withdraw the troops and, and, and the country, you know, becomes unstable and, and, and crises happen. I think well, especially they, 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 so they look at badly the way that they did it. Exactly. I mean, I think they're looking at the vaccine numbers and they think that there's public support for mandating vaccines. But what happens when you hear stories about people losing their jobs? Uh, you, you, what happens when you have these court cases that really divide the country along partisan lines? We'll see what the outcome is in, in, in the near future. But I, I'm skeptical that this is going to really change the minds and really change behavior among the, these hardcore holdouts of getting the vaccine. Well, it might it might not change the the behavior or the minds of hardcore holdouts. I just wonder is part of the calculus here at the White House saying we want to look like we're doing something, like we're in charge. We're going to start mandating stuff uh, and do it very brashly, and we invite, we welcome the attacks, we welcome the pushback because uh, it's unpopular the pushback, and people like safety, like they like the idea of safety, they like, they you know the idea of masks. In schools, polls pretty well, even though there's not science behind it. We saw Biden really leaning into that, going after, you know, problematic governors in his mind, like, you know, Florida and Texas and some other places. Maybe the goal is here. Look, if we can if we can get some people to get vaccinated through mandates, great. And if we're going to get a bunch of angry pushback politically, whether it works or not, politically, maybe it'll help us. And so let's go ahead and do it. Uh, you know, that's that's not necessarily, you know, the the healing come together, uh, pragmatic, follow the science approach that we were promised on the campaign trail. But that could be just a, a naked a political calculation that they're making that ultimately these broad strokes would pull pretty well. And the people who are going to be mad about it uh, will perhaps harm the Republican Party in 2022, for example. I, I would not be surprised if that's part of the thinking here. Yeah, so ultimately, the, the political success will be judged by the outcome. 
are there fewer cases, uh, at, at, you know, in a, in a few months, right? I mean, it, does, does this go into effect? Are there fewer cases? Does it get the, you know, the, the spread under control? Um, I mean, there's going to be like, – we're, we're seeing the, the wave coming down in the south, and I've seen people like Scott Gottlieb, some other experts, saying the wave is going to come to the northeast and other parts of the country because it's seasonal. So, you know, I think that if you try to shoehorn a narrative – in about what is causal or whatever, it's going to be kind of messy and, and sort of complicated. Josh, one other thing that I just wanted to run past you, a line that stuck out to me, and I tweeted about it as soon as the president said it. This was part of the justification for this uh, new attempt, at least, at a federal mandate on vaccines, even for private businesses, where if you've got a business, 100 people or more, Everyone has to be vaccinated or test weekly. This is the new you know, requirement that Biden says the federal government's going to try to enforce through the Labor Department. And he said during that portion, he said we need to protect vaccinated people against unvaccinated people. And I understand there are breakthrough cases. I understand that there are ripple effects if you have communities with high spread and a lot of unvaccinated people that fill up. You know, ICUs in certain hospitals, you can get people who are vaccinated who struggle to get, you know, uh, coverage or, or treatment at certain facilities. There are impacts, of course. But overall, generally, I just don't understand the science behind telling the American people that the point of vaccine mandates is to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated, because the vaccinated, the whole message is the vaccines are the protection. Yeah. So there was this period of time when, when, when you know, on July 4th, when Biden had his sort of mission accomplished moment, I think the general consensus, both in the science community, the political community, was if you're vaccinated, you're like 100 per, you're not going to get a breakthrough, very unlikely to get a, any kind of breakthrough case. You know, everyone's protected. Um, then there was like a lot of uncertainty and it looks like we're kind of this David Leonhardt of the New York times wrote a pretty compelling, uh, article yesterday, analyzing all the data we have showing, yeah, actually breakthrough cases are still like vanishingly rare. I think he said one in 5,000 to one in 10,000 chance of simply getting a case if you're vaccinated. Right. And I got one. So I know what it's like, but it was, I was fully vaccinated. My breakthrough case was very mild and very short. Uh, my understanding is the point of, vaccines is to protect people who aren't vaccinated from getting very, very sick from COVID. And if you are fully vaccinated, your chances of going to the hospital with COVID are extremely low. I just, I don't quite get the messaging of saying, well, now we have to do all this stuff and mandate this stuff to protect protected people from unprotected people. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that that's the why everything is so topsy-turvy, why it's, everyone's so confused, because Ultimately, like the unvaccinated bear the burden of their own decisions, right? They're, they're disproportionately bearing the burden. The, the 95 plus percent of people who are in hospitals are unvaccinated, you know, it, no matter what part of the country you're in. Um, the, where, where it gets complicated is unvaccinated people have, you know, a very small chance of, 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 of being, um, of, of, you know, it's rare that you get a case, but it happens. You've got one. There are a lot of people I know that have, have had mild breakthrough cases. And and it's like the flu. It's like a you know like you described your symptoms. It's like a, it's like a bad case of the of the flu, and 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 it really protects you almost overwhelmingly from any serious illness or hospitalization. But there are a small number of, of cases of even vaccinated people that get hospitalized. Generally, older uh, people with with uh, 
comorbidities. Um, right. So, like, we've basically set the bar. We assume that, like, once you're, you're in July, Biden and, and a lot of the science experts assume once you get vaccinated, you're fine. You can do everything. Don't need to wear a mask, yada, yada, yada. Um, now they're kind of confused about what the risk level is. Uh, for that vaccine. Well, yeah, and, and so are we, and so are the American people. And I think a lot of people want some sort of understanding of the end game, and that remains extremely elusive and I think deeply frustrating to many people across the spectrum. Josh, we are up on a break here as the end of the program is approaching. I want to ask you about the Virginia race and Joe Manchin versus the progressives on reconciliation, uh, Biden's polling numbers. There's a lot for us to discuss, but not today. Let's get back together soon and get into some of those other uh, political issues, hopefully in the next week or two. Josh Krasauer, politics editor at National Journal, Fox News Radio political analyst. Josh, really appreciate you hanging out with us this whole hour and reacting to the president. Thanks, Guy. Josh Krasauer on The Guy Benson Show. Quick wrap up, a very shortened home stretch when we return. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Home stretch on The Guy Benson Show on this Thursday. I'll be broadcasting live from Nashville, Tennessee tomorrow. Looking forward to that. And boy, will we have a full show on a Friday. Carl Rove will be here. Chris Wallace will be here. We are working on a constitutional expert as well. Because there's a lot to digest and analyze based on what the president just announced. And the fight is already underway. Also, it's the 20-year anniversary of 9-11 show tomorrow. A very solemn date that has, I think, some added significance given what we've seen over these last few weeks in Afghanistan. So... It will likely not be our lightest Friday show ever here on The Guy Benson Show, but we will bring you the news and the analysis that you come to expect and that we strive to deliver every single day, including today. Thank you for listening. Back here tomorrow from Nashville, it's The Guy Benson Show. Good night. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.